นโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดำมังสังขังนะมะสามิสุลย Evening gatherings, there, there will not be a uh, talk given. However, uh, yesterday was marking the 18th anniversary of uh, passing away of uh, our teacher Ajahn Chah, and uh, you see the, the shrine set up over here uh, for the occasion. And I wanted particularly to mark this occasion as a, a gesture of gratitude to him. By offering a few words of hopefully words of encouragement in our practice, two days ago, Friday was the new moon day, and uh, we had our normal recitation of the Patimoka rule here in the monastery. And uh, after the recitation of the rule, I. As the leader of the community, I gave my normal uh, little talk, and uh, one of the things I was focusing on and encouraging was uh, conscious gratitude. Uh, on that occasion, I wasn't uh, particularly uh, speaking about uh, Ajahn Chah's memorial, um, um, but the principle in itself, how how. How important, how useful, how transformative conscious gratitude can be. I don't know what kind of upbringing all of you had. I know in my case, uh, my grandmother or nana, as we used to call us, she would say, "Now count your blessings," and she'd sort of wave her finger at me and say, "Count your blessings, Keith," and and it, it didn't encourage me to count my blessings. She was a very good-hearted and sweet lady, my nana. But she had a particular Victorian uh, bent to her her way of uh, instructing the grandchildren that kind of didn't work, <laughs> at least not as well as she hoped it would. So, but regardless of whatever conditioning we might have had, uh, the principle still holds. And and I was speaking to the community here because we're on winter retreat and. We get quiet and get a little more focused and get a little more subtle and hopefully get a little more deep in our practice. And, and inevitably, you come across things that are difficult to deal with. Uh, contrary to what uh, a lot of people think, I'm sure all of you will realise that going on retreat is not having a picnic. Um, it brings about um, it pressurises the system. It's like we're all under pressure, like. Being in a pressure cooker, getting thoroughly well cooked, or the image I was using was uh, the, the Buddha's image of purifying gold, where you turn the heat up and and the gold gets to such a point where the dross, that which is impure, floats to the surface, and then you can 
scrape the scum off and take it away and you're left with the essence, the, the pure gold, the real thing. And, and the, the Buddha spoke in, in a similar way saying that you know, we need to turn the pressure up, we need to turn the heat up sometimes so that those things that we've avoided, uh, stored away in the recesses of our minds and in our muscles and our bones and in our breath body, the unlived through pain of life uh, that we weren't ready for at the time. Uh, it's sitting there and uh, serving as an obstruction to clarity. Uh, it gets brought to the surface. Then we can see it with right mindfulness and then in the right way let go. However, uh, when, when you're under pressure and the heat's turned up, uh, it's not so straightforward to let go. It may not be a retreat situation, it may just be uh, some everyday life situation. I hear tomorrow is uh, called Blue Monday, uh, apparently, in this country. Uh, in New Zealand we don't do Blue Mondays, not, at least not at this time of year, because right now everybody's off at the beach having a good time. Thank you very much. Uh, but apparently at this time of year, each year in this part of the world, there's a confluence of negative influences and it's apparently the psychologists identify tomorrow as the day when more people never get depressed and uh, so whether it's just the confluence of unhappinesses that happen to come together or it's being on retreat and intentionally putting ourselves under pressure so as to bring the dross to the surface but when it comes to needing to let go it's, uh, it's not so easy Always. And so one of the things that helps, one of the skills that is encouraged in this practice is mindful gratitude, conscious gratitude. That, that if, we, if we know, if we really feel with awareness how incredibly fortunate we are, then it helps in that shifting perspective. There less chance that we're going to get sucked into the vortex of poor me. Now, it, it does so easily feel like poor me. And not, it's not just a little mental disturbance. A serious poor me is a whole body-mind conviction. You know, I'm definitely disadvantaged. <laughs> I'm definitely in a bad state. I'm definitely getting it wrong. I'm definitely heading for a bad future. Yeah. Now, when we get sucked into such a vortex, we need all the skills we can to pull back out again so we don't act on it. When we get pulled into a vortex like that, that, that energetic, that conviction that it's all going wrong, maybe it's happened, maybe it's gone wrong in the past and just, uh, just need that little trigger to just suck us back into that dread, that fear that it's uh, all going wrong again. So we need the skills to remind ourselves, don't believe in the way it appears. In every moment, there's the opportunity to let go. Now, every moment is actually new. Yes, in each moment we carry the memories of the past, but each moment is a new opportunity to let go. How do we do it? That's the thing. So conscious gratitude is uh, one of the ways of doing it. And so I was suggesting to the community here the other day that even to make a, um, a gratitude inventory. Uh, uh, it happens at this time of the year in the monastery that we 
where you look for somebody who will do a library book inventory because, um, unfortunately, uh, not all Buddhists are as mindful as they could be and they borrow books from our lovely library and they forget to return them, CDs as well. I'm doing a plug here, by the way. Um, so because the person doing the uh, CD and library book inventory, if they find your name is there beside a book that's taken out, you're going to get a letter. <laughs> you go, it'll be a nice letter because it's um, a nice person doing the inventory. But it'll be a very firm letter saying, we really look forward to having that book or that CD back again, please. And so doing a, um, a, a book inventory or a CD inventory is a way of honouring the library. You know, all these books have been given, the CDs have been produced with quite a bit of work and, and we want to value them, we want to honour them and so when they disappear more than the time they're supposed to, we like to bring them back again. So we're updating the inventory. Well, if we didn't have an inventory, we would just, the books disappear and we, you know they're gone. That's it, the CDs disappear and they're gone. We don't even know they've gone, which is a pity. We're doing the same thing in the kitchen actually because inadvertently it seems that bits and pieces from the kitchen seem to disappear. And so the kitchen manager is now creating an inventory as a way of valuing, as a way of honouring what's there in the kitchen. Well, likewise, none of us would be in a situation here if we hadn't received huge blessings. Huge blessings. Look around the world and exercise this wonderful intelligence that we have and compare and assess and evaluate and look at what's going on around the world and you just see how extraordinarily fortunate we are. I mean, my goodness. And just, you know, from the very basics, parents. Now, probably most of us can find faults with our parents. You know, that's just, you know, one of the things we're very good at as well, is finding faults. Uh, this intelligence that we have, as wonderful as it is, uh, it, uh, if we're not careful with this wonderful intelligence, we can become gluttons. The mind is another organ, a sense organ. And just as with taste, if we gluttonous with taste, we eat the wrong things or we eat too much. Or, or with sight or with smell, and the other senses, we, we overdo it. And then we fall into imbalance. We become compulsive about seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching things. Well, the mind sense organ likewise we become compulsive if we're not careful if we've not been given a balanced education if children are not given a good upbringing they won't know how to eat properly they won't know how to look after their senses and, and likewise most of us didn't have a balanced education we got force fed on the more is better the more you think the more you compare the more you analyse extrapolate speculate the better until unfortunately we're uh, often mental gluttons. We, we just love to think. We just love it. Really nice thoughts, complicated thoughts, or even nasty thoughts, to the point where even though we'd like to give up some of this compulsive stuff, <laughs> we can't. It's like chocolate. It's just too good. It's really difficult to give up. So, uh, but this is, a, this is actually not a an ultimate problem. It's uh, something we need to recognize and just say, well, this is an imbalance. And, and so with this imbalanced intellect of ours, we can find fault with everything, with our parents. However much work they did, however many times they got up in the middle of the night, however much they went without to make sure we got fed, got clothed. I mean, you know, I think about the, 
hours my mother used to spend knitting. She used to make all our clothes for us. My father would grow our vegetables and fruit so that then mother would spend hours and hours, days and days, boiling and bottling and, and uh, preserving things for the rest of the year. Not for mom and dad, but for the kids. Now, yes, uh, I can really think of a lot of things that I don't feel grateful for about my parents, but really, the, it's so easy to also, if we direct our attention there, it's so easy to just feel so grateful to mother and father. And if we make it conscious, well, then that helps. And, of course, that's our physical parents. Well, what about our spiritual parents? And uh, For us here, you know, the, the gratitude that one has towards Ajahn Chah, having lived with him, and I, I know uh, how he, uh, the austerities that he went through in his life in pursuit of, of realization. It wasn't easy what he went through. He didn't have an easy life. He died quite young. And he even spoke about it at one stage, saying it's a pity he didn't look after his health better because just when he was becoming useful, he was falling apart physically. But as it was, they didn't have the medicines to do the kind of practice he needed to do. He, and he didn't get the support when he needed it. And so he actually was very ill in his older age. And, but he didn't have any regrets, not really. Not real regrets, because what he had was more important than good health. In fact, he used to say, he made the point of, of saying that you know, we're all willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of our health. We'll sacrifice our friendship. We won't ring up people or we'll do anything. We won't go to work. We you know, give up anything to look after our health. But he was saying that uh, we also need to be willing to give up our health for the Dhamma. Now, of course, he wasn't saying don't look after yourself because he was then going and say be mindful, be sensible, and, and the Buddha likewise encourages us all to be sensible about our health. But he's saying that even the things we love most, if we're attached to them, even those we also have to let go. And so one of the things we're attached to more than anything else, of course, is our health. And so finding a willingness to let go of that and he had that willingness and he went through that very narrow pathway to see through suffering to see that which wasn't suffering and at that point of course he could have um, he could have gone back to having a pretty relaxed life a pretty easy time like the Buddha likewise after his enlightenment could have uh, gone back to being very very comfortable but where there's suffering, all there is is the motivation to offer help. And that could mean sacrificing yourself. And certainly in Ajahn Chah's case, that was what he did. He sacrificed himself for many, many years for the benefit of others. And, and having seen that, uh, and having witnessed it for myself, even though it wasn't easy to live with him, but it's still a huge gratitude. Uh, last night, as I said, yesterday was... Uh, the uh, occasion for remembering his passing away and, and one of the monks here read a translation of a, a talk that had been recorded some years ago. It was a time I remember actually, it was a time when we were building the main repository hall uh, for him. Uh, when his mother died, he uh, wanted to do something special for her and people offered the funds to do something and so he decided to build a temple 
over the area where she was cremated. And he didn't just want a temple. First he wanted a hill to put the temple on top of so that when you were sitting inside the temple, you could catch the breeze because it's, it's not like this hill that we're sitting on the top of. <laughs> we, we, we don't want to catch the breeze. There you want to be up above the tree line and the breeze come in and to produce a nice cool atmosphere in the temple. And, and so building this hill and then building a temple on top of it was uh, a lot of hard work and we used to work from uh, about 9 in the morning after the one meal we had, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, right through until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, sometimes 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and it, was, it was, yeah, tough work. But everybody was happy to do it. And he was ferocious. He wasn't nice. You know, you think, you know, we're building his temple for him. You think he might come around and saying everybody's okay, you know, everybody feeling all right? <laughs> do you mind doing this? I don't know. No, he was heavy. I mean, he was heavy. He'd just kind of march around. He had a stick and he'd just kind of grunt at us. And, and this talk that was uh, given to the monks and the novices at the time, I don't remember actually hearing that talk, but uh, it was recorded and translated and uh, really laying it down and, and, and telling the monks to really shape up or ship out. Well, he didn't give it that threat, but that was the tone of it. And so living with him wasn't easy at all. But the reason it wasn't easy was because we were being shown something about ourselves we didn't like. I just had to get near him and I wanted to run away. I used to feel ill quite a lot of the time. Just get near him, I just felt like I wanted to throw up. Now, you know, you think, oh, Ajahn Chah, you know, it's just living with Ajahn Chah, you're so lucky. You know. It wasn't fun. <laughs> it was very hard to be shown all that stuff that's not good about yourself. But what a gift. What a gift to receive. And so afterwards, of course, you have a huge gratitude. And that's what I don't remember now, the nasty bits, really. I just remember the gratitude. I I just feel so grateful that, that he was willing and able, and I, for whatever mysterious reasons, had the good fortune to be there and to have this mirror held up at a time and in a way whereby I was able to deal with some of it. I was able to see some of it. And so to really bring that up into awareness to those that have benefited us, you know, those that have taught us to, to be consciously grateful. And I was suggesting to the monks that they, as I was saying, they maybe write an inventory, our parents, our teachers, the doctors that have looked after us when we've been sick, you know, the leaders in the country, the you can, there's no end to it. You could, you could write pages of people that have helped us. And the problem is when we forget it. We forget it and we take it all for granted. And then when we have an upthrust of the dross, which is actually a blessing, believe it or not. Of course, it's easy to say that because I'm in a good mood right now. But when you're not in a good mood and you have one of these big upthrusts of all the stuff coming at all the wrong time, and when it is the real practice, as the great and venerable Miyokyoni said to me once, I was, I was complaining to her. This is a, a great Zen teacher who, who passed away uh, a year or so ago. And I was complaining to her about how tough things can be at times. And she says, venerable. She says, when it's a real thing, it feels too much too soon. It's just like that. When it's a real thing, it feels too much too soon. 
And I really don't want it this way. So where do we turn? You know, we can turn away from practice. Yeah. We can push it down again, try and push it down, maybe use all our effort to hide away from it. Or if we have some skills prepared, like conscious gratitude, we can just click that switch, turn it on, bring some light into the situation. And remember, remember... This is not ultimate. This is a mood. This is not ultimate. Now, not, you know, when you're in that state, you just have the thought, oh, this is not ultimate. The Buddha said everything's impermanent. Ajahnanda just gave that talk and said everything's impermanent. The thought is not enough. The heart needs to be warmed. And so that's what I mean by conscious gratitude. You know, really, to reflect on our parents, to reflect on our teachers, you know, what does it mean to really be grateful through our parents? Well, it means when you think about your ingratitude, it brings tears to your eyes and remorse for the lack of gratitude. When you think of your teachers, it brings joy to the heart. There's warming of the heart and, and, and uh, uh, strengthening the mental reflections that we have. We have the mental programming, but we need that to be fueled from the heart and so you know, re- reflecting on what, why are we grateful through our teachers well just again look around the world and see what people get up to when they don't have Dhamma teachers when they don't have Dhamma teaching and what happens well, you, fundamentalism is one of the things that happens a mental disorder of any persuasion whether it's Buddhist or any other particular religious or political or environmental persuasion and fundamentalism is a mental disorder but it's one of the things that our minds do when there isn't when there isn't a a skillful accurate way of finding our way to a reality within ourselves if we don't have a sense of reality within ourselves if we don't have a center, if we don't have a groundedness within, then we just follow the impulse of the senses. The senses always take us out. Sight, sound, smells, taste, touches, and mental impressions. You know, all the sights, all the sounds, all the ideas, all the philosophies, all the stories, even if they're religious stories. Even though they're great, fabulous religious stories, it's always going out then we don't have the center within, then we run the risk of becoming a fundamentalist of some sort or a sensualist. Mm. And then when moods come up, we don't have a real way of dealing with them. At the best, we put them off. But if you have Dhamma, then we're equipped with some degree of mindfulness, some degree of steadiness, some degree of energy, whereby we can reflect. We turn the light of attention around and when you're suffering because of something, maybe you've got to, to meet with somebody you really don't want to meet. Maybe it's days away. Yeah. Maybe you have to go and counsel somebody who's dying. That's a tough one. Yeah. Or deal with somebody who's bereaved. Yeah. And you really don't want to do it. Or an angry person, you read them, what have you got? Right now, you're not with that person. What have you got right now? That's using Dhamma. We reflect. Here's the suffering. What's the cause of suffering? 
We're hanging on to something. What is it we're hanging on to? We're contemplating with mindfulness, with steadiness, with energy, with interest, feeling in the heart, in the mind, in the body, the root of the suffering, until what's happening right now is anticipating. That's what's happening. I'm anticipating something happening. It's not even happening. What's the future? That that event hasn't occurred yet. What's happening right now is anticipation, anticipation. Actually, I can handle anticipation. Anticipation is nothing, actually. I mean, just looking around, you're in a room like this full of lovely people. The heating's even going again, for which we're grateful to the gas man who delivered it eventually. But we could still be suffering like nobody's business because we're anticipating something in the future. With mindfulness, with Dhamma practice, we can have anticipation. Anticipation. And it's gone. You drop it. Oh, that's it. Letting go. That's it. And that's much better than distracting ourselves or believing in something. Mm. Or fear. You feel feel threatened by something. You don't quite know what it is. It's just this gnawing sense of feeling threatened. Maybe it's something you saw on the news or or heard or read or somebody said something and it's left you with this gnawing unease. Inside, you know, what is it? With mindfulness, with confidence, with trust, there is a real freedom from suffering. We trust in this principle. We're interested in come into the body, come into the heart, come into the mind. Until we ask the question, what is it? Fear, that's what it is. It's fear. What are you afraid of? Fear and you feel for it. It's like it's like feeling for you know, like when you're lifting, trying to lift something. You want to lift something a little bit heavy. You don't just pick it up with one hand, it's a bit heavy. There's a right way to lift it up, and so you feel for the right way to lift it up. And so the first way, no, that doesn't feel right. That's not right. And so you, so you straighten your back and you approach it from a different angle. And, and well, nearly there, but it's not quite right. So you bend your knees a little bit. You bend your knees, you straighten your back, come into your physical center, and then you, yeah, this is good. And then you, and then you can lift it. Yeah. So you already knew the task from the beginning, but we've got to feel for the right way to do it. Same with our moods, the same with that. The suffering, the dukkha that limits us. Feeling for the way to let go. In a hurry to get rid of it, there's a right letting go. It comes from a right seeing, a right understanding. And we do it with the exercise of the mindfulness in the mind, in the heart, in the body. And in this case, like fear of... Fear of what is it? Fear of loss maybe and then you know your fear of loss because you know because it's gone it's, in that instant like, oh, you've dropped it yeah, you've dropped it and then the gladness comes again and then with such experiences the gratitude to, and to make it conscious when gratitude arises as it will when there's letting go the gratitude arises to make it conscious to really be aware of it even go and add it to the inventory I'm so grateful that Ajahn Chah taught me this this path, this way of letting go. And so when we do this, if we do it over and over again, it does. It becomes like, as I said, like a switch. It's like a potential that's there. 
like we've filled our gas tank up now. Thank goodness it was in a sad state there for quite a few days and I was feeling threatened. The wood pile was going down and, and being a sun worshipper as I am from the South Pacific, I was not feeling great about what looked like was lying ahead. And so the gas tanker came the other day and filled the tank up and that's it. Now the storehouse is full of gas and so I can just go to that little dial in my room which I'm very fond of and turn it anti-clockwise just a little bit and click and I know soon the warmth is going to be coming again and I'm grateful. Well, likewise, we can build up the storehouse of gratitude, of gladness within our hearts and and when we're faced with difficulty, we're faced with the sadness of the world, a tragic human situation, and you know, some things you can do, but there's a lot you can't do. You know, it was, wasn't long ago there were the, the tsunami and there's been fires and wars. There's always this is the nature of our world. How do we how do we accommodate this aspect of our world? Well, conscious gratitude. I suggest is one of the ways of doing it. Build up our storehouse by creating an inventory of conscious gratitude and then when we do find we're confronted with the dukkha of this existence, then we can tap into it and hopefully turn it around. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Sadhu <laughs>